Yeah, like I mean, in my video course, I mean, we've had 14,000 people go through like my advanced video course on ebook publishing, and that's like 70 lectures. So we've got 70 lectures in that course, you know? Um, so there's just a lot to learn, but, but these are the keys. So if all you do is these 11 steps, you'll, you'll be good. If you have a brilliant idea, if you really, really, really want to take it to the next level, if you really, really, really want to attack that passion, tell somebody about it, because you will find that eventually somebody will want to help you do it. Somebody will want to help you get there. This is The Entrepreneur Now. Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to another fantastic, voluptuous, seductive episode of the Entrepreneur Now podcast, aka the Artsy Now show, as a lot of you call it. I'm happy that you are all here with me today, one more time, or tonight, uh, the middle of the night, wherever you are, whoever you may be, whatever you may be creating, anywhere up and down and all around the world, I am honored that you are here with me right now. You're going to learn a lot today. I mean, a whole lot, especially if you have ever had any aspirations to write a book or an ebook. I mean, literally after I had the conversation with Tom Corson Knowles, who is my guest for this show, I beasted out like an ebook just over the weekend. It was like 28 pages. I mean, that's how much enthusiasm this guy gave me. And I'd never done one before. So you can get that ebook if you go to artsynow.com forward slash 91 download. But for this show in particular, we go through all these step by steps on how to publish your first ebook. And through these steps, I compiled another little download for free. It's a PDF of all these steps broken down based on what Tom says in this episode. Tom is a beast. He's only 27, he's written like 28 books. He's from Southern Indiana. He now lives in Hawaii. He creates courses. He teaches how to master publishing on Kindle, but that's not where it all started. I mean, he he started this when he was about 13 years old and, and saw a need. He put his first ebook out there, got crickets, was actually embarrassed that he published a book because it just wasn't that cool back then to 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 e-publish you know it was all about who can print your book who can get it out there that way uh, he went back a couple weeks later saw that he had some sales not very many but it was enough to steamroll him into a mad dash for kindle publishing and learning everything he could about it he said wow you know i didn't tell anybody about this book but i sold this amount of copies what happens if i master how to market it online how many copies can i sell then Obviously, it's insane how much progress he's made. He's teaching everybody else how to do it just like him. He's living the life of his dreams. Uh, I mean, I'm super jealous down there in Hawaii, so I didn't find that out till this interview that he was actually there. But again, to get the download with all these amazing topics we talk about, go to artsynow.com forward slash 98 download, and you'll get that free list plus this awesome sweet list from Tom on sites to promote your Amazon Kindle books for free, and it's an extensive list. So check that out. And all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 98. And here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity stickity, rickety dickity beat. Yeah. 
Get on with your bad self. Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, get on with your bad selves, yeah. And gentlemen, boys and girls. Whoever you are, wherever you silly little creatives may be, whatever you may be creating, I'm glad that you're here with a smile, with a fist pump, with the burst of energy to inspire the stars above. Man, oh man, oh me, oh my, do I have a treat for you today. I've got on a brilliant guest who has somewhat mastered the art of turning stories into books and self-publishing. He At just 13 years old, he started his first business selling sad lamps out of his father's garage, which is pretty cool. We can get into it in a minute. But he's been up and down and all around dominating the entrepreneur and creative space ever since. Some of his biggity, biggity, biggity best-selling books include the book Marketing Bible, the Kindle Publishing Bible, Secrets of the Six-Figure Author, Rules of the Rich, Facebook for Business Owners, and schedule your success. And he's not stopping at just the writing side of life. He's also a health and wellness expert who's got a few gems of knowledge on staying healthy in today's oh-so-toxic food environment. A skid a rinkity dinkity dink a skid a rinkity doo Tom Corson knows you are the entrepreneur now connecting all the way from South Bend, Indiana. What's up, man? Hey, man. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. That's probably the most unique introduction I've ever had. So thank you for that. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, dude. Thank you for coming on. I, I'm really pumped about this. Um, I, Although it's been brief, I have been a very close listening student of yours recently. When I was driving my car earlier, I was like, why am I not subscribed to his TCK publishing blog? And I was trying to figure out while driving. And I was like, maybe I should wait till I get home. But your information is super valuable. You've accomplished so much from such a young age. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating to me, but I, I get it because this last year I've been doing everything I can. And if I look at what I've accomplished in the past year, it by far like 10 times trumps what I did the rest of my life combined. So they blow my mind. You were born a year behind me. It's ultra inspiring what you have done. I mean, like you were, you were creating a business while I was still like sucking my thumb and peeing in my Ninja Turtle pants, right? My undies, my Ninja Turtle undies. So we all got to start somewhere. Uh, but, but as a young child, you know, like you started your first business at 13, you've, you've grown into how many books have you written now? Uh, it's over 25. I'm not sure the exact count. Yeah. So you're, you're beast, you're beast when you're putting out these books, but you're also really brilliantly minded when it comes to marketing and e-publishing which we can get into as well. And I've learned so much from you on that aspect of things. When you were a child, like I just have to ask you, like when, you, like say when you were creating these sad lamps, which if some, nobody knows out there what that is, I, I think they're the lamps that kind of wake you up naturally, right? With like light, is that correct? Uh, close, but not quite. So a sad or is, is a short for seasonal affective disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's a condition that a lot of people get in the North. Um, so like in Indiana, uh, anywhere like above 45 degrees uh, parallel or latitude, whatever you call that. Um, uh, you get that in, like, in the wintertime because there's not enough sunlight. So your eyes, your brain doesn't get enough sunlight, so it messes up all your hormones. 
and uh, and it causes depression and all kinds of nasty nasty stuff in the wintertime, especially for people. So a sat lamp basically just mimics the light of the sun, and you put it on your desk or somewhere in the, in the day so that even in the wintertime, you're getting light from the sun, and it's helping all your hormones and everything be balanced in your brain. So it really helps people with depression and, and sad. Yeah, so it prevents a case of the emo and vampires, right? Exactly. Cabin, cabin fever. Very helpful for the vampires, yeah. <laughs> I could have used that when I was like 14 and like hating the world. It's like contemplating dyeing my hair black and just crying and pooping my pants all night. But now, like, I, there's those newer. I don't know if you've seen those newer ones, but they're pretty cool. Like they they go through different color shades, but they wake you up and put you to sleep naturally. I think they're like yeah, I've heard about that. That's three pretty- four hundred dollars, maybe something like that. But I would love to have one of those because you know they say how much electronics can affect you past a certain time of the day because our bodies weren't really genetically you know wired to handle them. And so it can exactly. affect our sleep patterns and things like that. But yeah, yeah cool. So at 13 years old, like, did you, did you notice yourself feeling different around the other kids that you weren't really quite on the same level as them? Like were what were some of the most valuable lessons you learned at a young age, which kind of puts you away from that area? Like what, what propelled you into your drive towards becoming this awesome entrepreneur, author, content beast? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was never like the other kids. Like, I was always weird. I was always like the outcast. I always got made fun of. Yeah. Um, and I was like really smart. So like, and I like, I loved learning. I love like my whole life. I've always loved learning. So like in school, you know, I would love to like raise my hand, answer questions. And it wasn't like I like liked the teacher wanted to be. I don't know. Maybe I wanted to sh- stand out or whatever. But it's just you know, like I knew the answers. I just wanted to share. Like I just wanted to share what was inside me. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still how I feel today. Like I just want to share the knowledge inside me. Uh, but, you know, I would always get made fun of for that. Like, you know, oh, you know, you're the teacher's pet and all this stuff. And so, I, you know, in school, I wasn't really allowed to really fully express myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to find ways outside of school to do that. So, you know, I was always reading books since I was a kid, you know. I remember I was like seven, eight years old reading these like 700, 1,000-page Wheel of Time novels by Robert Jordan. If anyone's ever heard of that, it's a great series, great fantasy series. Um, so, you know, I was always – novels for that age. Seriously, man. Yeah, seriously. Like, my parents couldn't even read that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I always was looking for a way to just follow my passion, which was really learning and creating new stuff, you know. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I always recognized that I was quite a bit different from other people. But I really didn't, I really didn't get, like, the writing bug. I at least didn't notice it until I was, like, 19. So even when I was like, you know, 11, 12, I was like writing poems on my computer, but I didn't know anyone else in the world that was like write. So I, you know, I didn't tell anybody about it, just stored it on my computer, you know, uh, and that was it. But when I was 19, I got to college and I was at business school at Indiana University and I was in the honors program and everyone in that program, we had to do an internship in the summer. Um, like it, most people want to do an internship on Wall Street. Everyone, you know, in business school wanted to be an investment banker. And this was like right before the financial crisis hit. Um, so everyone wanted to be an investment banker. And so a lot of my friends did that and they went there and, you know, I saw them, they were working over a hundred hours a week. You know, they were like bawling their eyes out. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't eat. They couldn't exercise. They had no social life. I mean, their life was just a mess, you know? And I looked at their life and I was like, man, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, I'm going to, I'm going to be like them. You know, I'm going to be like just wasting my life away doing work I hate, um, for no good reason. So that's when I really, got the inspiration to write my first book, which was really just for me. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't planning to be a published author at the time. I wasn't planning to make money from writing. It was just, I wanted to write a book so that I could tell me what I needed to do to be successful in my own life by my own standards, right? Because success is different for everyone. You know, 
Uh, some people want an amazing marriage and kids and other people want wealth and, and you can have it all. I mean, there's, you know, there's nothing you can't have if you're willing to, to commit to making it happen. But my point is just that other people have different goals. But for me, my goal was freedom. And I just wanted freedom. I didn't want to be a corporate slave. I didn't want to be working on Wall Street. I didn't want to have someone else telling me what to do, when to do. I wanted to have complete freedom to do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, with whoever I wanted to do it, whenever I wanted to do it. And so that's when I wrote, why I wrote the first book. And that's why I started another business when I was in college and, and did really well with that. Yeah, so you, you've written massive amounts of books now. What was, that, what was that first book that you wrote? So it's now called Rules of the Rich. So, so you've like revised it and updated it? Yeah, it had a different title before, and it was, it was totally different. But yeah, I totally revised it and updated it since then. Well, what was that like? Like the first process of doing it? Like, how did that? I mean, did you feel confident? Or once you get once you get it done and get those first couple sales, and I'm sure that it's nothing like what you can get now. But like, even like like for me, I'm writing my first book, right? If I put it out there, it would only take one person to buy it to make me feel like it was an accomplishment. Did you feel like a similar way when you first put that? that one out. Yeah, absolutely. So, but just to give you some background, I mean, I, I started writing my first book when I was 19, but, and I tried six years to get traditionally published and totally failed. And wow. it wasn't until over six years later that I finally self published it. And that's when I saw that, that moment. So I was so embarrassed when I first had to self publish my book because there was this whole stigma at the time of, you know, if you're self published, you're a loser, you know, <laughs> it's not prestigious at all, you know? And, and so I self published my first book and I was so embarrassed. I didn't tell anyone in the world that I had published it. So I didn't tell anyone. And what happened is I logged back into my account a month later. I saw I had like 14 sales and I was jumping up and down. I was shooting and hollering. I was yelling. I was just like so excited. I was like high-fiving my fiance. Like, look what I did. You know, I sold 14 books because I knew immediately, look, if I can sell 14 books without telling anybody in the world about this, imagine what I could do if I treated this like a business, turned this into my career and focused on it day in, day out on writing books and marketing them and getting my message out to the world. And, and that's when the, really the light bulb hit for me. And I realized, hey, look, I can do what I love for the rest of my life and make lots of money at it and help lots of people. And like, what's better than that, you know? Yeah, dude. And you've, you've actually figured that out. I mean, you, you obviously put the time in to study this system. And now you're actually consulting people. You've, you beast out content about this particular topic of the e-publishing. And I think there's a, there's a huge amount of potential there. And I, there's so many people out there that don't even realize that like, you know, because they don't have a Kindle that they can still read stuff that is for the Kindle. You know, you just get these different adapters or attachments. Uh, you're, you're a grandmaster blaster, self-publishing master, really. And you've got a pretty solid list that we talked about pre-chat about how to do this. So we can jump into some of those steps on if you're a writer out there listening and you want to be able to publish or self-publish your first ebook, Tom is the Mac Daddy when it comes to this. Uh, he's got some gems, some nuggets that I've heard him talk about in other interviews before that are awesome. So we can focus a little bit onto that as well. And then it, here, here in you know towards the end, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about health also, if you don't mind, because it's a super fascinating topic to me, and I think that that applies to everybody out there. If you're not worried about your health. I don't really want to say worried. If you're not conscious about your health, uh, you should be, right? So, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, so well, let's get into writing tips because we've got a lot to cover. So um, so I've got 11 steps to writing your best-selling book. Um, so it's, it's super simple. It's, it's not complicated. So number one is just coming up with ideas, right? And for a lot of people, this is the most important step because you've like never done it. you know. And so, And I'm a huge fan of what I call thinking time. 
So before I get into the steps, I want to share with you thinking time. So thinking time is so important. So what it is for me is basically I lock myself in my room, all alone, no, inter no interruptions, no distractions, turn the cell phone off, turn the internet off. All I have is a notepad and a pen, that's it. And what I do during thinking time, I schedule at least 15 minutes minimum, and I, all I do is I write down on paper my, the questions I want to ask myself, and then I write down the answers. So a great question is, you know, why not write a book? You know, what would I want to write about? You know, if I could write a book about anything, what would it be? Right. And so when we're coming up with ideas, step one is basically just asking questions like that. Like, what are you an expert on? What do you know better than all your friends and relatives? Right. Mm -hmm. um, what stories would you want to tell? What? Maybe you want to write a novel. What, what you know, about, what like, stories inspire I'm, you? I'm sure that there's a lot of people who maybe have a hard time answering that question or they're indecisive about it. Do you have any like, I, I don't know, for me, like. I can go do some reading or, or research or something if I want to get more into a specific topic. Is there anything that you do that kind of triggers you in the right direction there? Yeah. So the key is to follow the system. So the first step is just come up with ideas. It's okay. like it's like kind of like brainstorming. So you're not you're doing any analysis, right? You don't care if your idea is the worst idea in the world. It doesn't matter. Write it down. Yeah. Brain. And down. so the key you. about thinking time is that whatever comes to mind, you write it down because your mind will tell you what the answers are. And some of them will be the worst ideas ever, and some of them will be great ideas, but you won't know until you're done with the process, yeah. right? So, so step one is don't even think about that yet. Don't even do any analysis. Don't do any of that. Just get all the ideas down on paper first and foremost. And the step two is we actually go through and we an analyze it and see what are the good ideas and what ideas are you most passionate about pursuing. But step one is just get the ideas out. Yeah, and cool. When it, when it comes to blogging, and I think I picked this up from Amber Ludwig, but a lot of topics if you think you have nothing to write about, literally you can just write down like six main categories that you think you might be interested in writing about and then take those main categories and set like a timer for five minutes under each one of them and just write down every thought that comes to mind that pertains to that category. And I'm telling you within the 25 minutes or the 30 minutes that it takes to do that, you'll have a, a, a damn tree of a hundred different things that you can really target towards and work off of. And it, and it works. I mean, I think those first steps are huge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the key is just, it's just most of us, you know, I think we have this like this like label that we give people like creative or not creative, but I think it's BS. Everyone's creative, right? You can ask any kid, any person in the world, if they do this process, thinking time process, they just write down questions. They'll find answers. Their mind, their mind has them stored in there. They just haven't learned how to access them. Yeah. And so, and that's like, you know, when I was growing up, no one said I was creative. They thought like I was good at math, right? They mm -hmm. thought like I was a left brain guy. They didn't, they didn't, no one said I was ever creative, right? And, yeah. But I learned how to access my own creativity just by asking these questions. It's so powerful. Awesome. So what's next in the process? Okay, so step two, we've got to analyze those ideas. And so how I do this is I analyze it first and foremost by passion. So, but that depends on what your goals are. So if your goal is to make the most money, You'd want to ask, okay, well, which of these ideas do I think has the biggest market, right? Which of these ideas do I think will make me the most money? Um, if your focus is passion, what, you know, what are these ideas are you most passionate about? And a question I love to ask, it gets me jazzed up every time I do it, is, hey, look, if I only had 90 days left to live, I could only write, publish, complete, get one book out there into the world, what would that book be if I only had 90 days left to live? Wow, yeah. Right? And my, absolutely, man. And my heart immediately tells me, okay, it's this one, you know? And uh, it's just powerful to ask those ideas. I mean, ask those questions. So I've got a whole list, and Evernote, I've got a list of over 100 questions I ask myself when I do thinking time. And I'm telling you, man, it, it's like I can't, I can't tell you how powerful it is. It's, the, it's like if there's any one lesson I've ever learned in all the personal development, all the books I read, 
It's just that. Like we already have all the answers for how to improve our life. Like you talked about health. Everyone knows you need to sleep more, eat better, exercise more, but it doesn't mean we do it, right? Yeah. You should publish your list. I'm sure that would be super valuable to people. <laughs> your list Absolutely, of questions. Man. Yeah, someday I will. I'll get more than a hundred though. I'll get I'll get quite a few. Yeah. I mean I've yeah. I filtered through a couple different books of people that kind of did something similar like that. Like if you have nothing to write about, just read through this and you'll get some ideas, which are cool. But everybody's so unique, it's it's always awesome to read through. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I mean we can learn from everyone. You know, I always I listen to podcasts all the time, I read books all the time, and if I can just learn one new idea, you know, it's worth it. Well, like that same principle though, when when you go to sleep at night, I always think about if this was my last day or if tomorrow's going to be my last day, what do I want to accomplish? And of course that plays into the five minute journal with UJ Ramdas, who's been on this show. Um, and man, like it, it really does allow you to see like right away what direction you need to go in. And have you, I'm sure you've read this cause you read so many books, but have you read the war of art? Yeah. So when he talks about that kind of direction that you go in, uh, and he talks about that segment of, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody who was working with cancer patients, right? And as soon as they realize that they have this cancer, the what they do in their life completely shifts. They start doing these things like, what would you do if it would be your last day? Because it really exactly. is time running out. And then as soon as that starts to happen, the guy is seeing the cancer regress, right? And it just shows how much it can affect your health by by following these principles as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the metaphor I use is it's like, it's like a ship or a sailboat, right? Like, it's like you're sailing off in one direction. That's how we do it in our life. Like we just sail into a direction and, you know, months go by, years go by and we're just going in the same direction until something hits us and wakes us up and say, Oh my God, I got to turn, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and like you said, like, I mean, what, like, you know, the life change you've had in your life so fast in the last year, I mean, you know, it doesn't, all it takes is one second to make that new decision, you know, and your life can change over your direction of your life can change overnight. And I also think as soon as you dive into it, there's an there's an actual hump there. I don't know what time. It's probably different for everybody. But there's a certain point that you'll get over where you can't – there's just no way you can go back. I mean, you would have to really go through some serious pain and misery to get back to the point that you started at. And so that's what's so beautiful about it. That you just have to be open and accepting to it, and things can just become magical. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Oh, cool. So what what's next on the self-publishing Okay. So, so step three is market research. And this is a lot of authors don't like this step because it sounds so businessy and, you know, business school, they teach you the word market research, but it's basically just a fancy word to figure out, okay, who is your customer? How many people could potentially read books like the one you're going to write and just understanding those basic numbers, right? Those simple things. Hmm. Um, so a great way to do market research, super easy, go to amazon.com, search through the Kindle store or the books section and just type in keywords uh, related to your book. So if you're writing a book about weight loss, type in weight loss. Check out the top best-selling books on weight loss and just look at what's going on out there in the market. Um, same thing, whatever market you're in, just look at the best-selling books in your market and see, look at them, do some, do some research on them and just spend an hour, two hours on Amazon reading the books, checking them out, seeing what the titles are, seeing what the book descriptions say, uh, seeing what the reviews are. Great tip for authors you want to learn how to write a better book or how to become a better writer, go look at the best-selling books in your industry. Look at all the five-star reviews and the one-star reviews and see, okay, well, what are those people doing right? What are they doing wrong? Um, and and write those write those things down. Keep a notebook of, okay, everything other authors have done wrong and everything other authors have done right. 
and see if you can learn from those how to make your book even better. So you're, you're going in sort of into the similar topic books and you're seeing the message of what they're putting out there and then really paying attention to how people are reacting to it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's genius. And, and the other thing you really want to do in market research is just make sure you understand how big the market is. So there's a great website. It's called authorearnings.com. It's totally free. And they have so much information and data on there about um, the different markets, different genres, how, much, how, many, how big the markets are. Um, so basically, if you're, if you're a nonfiction author, if you're writing anything about health and wellness, business and finance or relationships, those are big markets. You don't need to worry. You can, you can make a full-time income in those markets if you do what you do really well. Um, for fiction, if you write you know, romance, sci-fi, thriller, mystery, um, those are all big markets. And if you write in those markets, you can do really well. Um, if you write something like children's books or like coffee table art, art kind of books, those are really tough markets, right? Um, especially for self-published authors because those, those books mainly sell in physical format. And the vast majority of physical distribution is not books sold online. It's books sold through actually major discount retailers like Target and Costco and Walmart. Um, and so you, if you don't have access to those as a self-published author, then it's very hard to make money in that market you know, selling ebooks online. Um, so just do your research and understand, you know, how big is the market and also, you know, what, what are the competition doing and how can you make your book even better? Yeah. Awesome, man. Super valuable. Yo, 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 if you want a free book, if you want to get smarter every single day, get on Amazon audible and get your free audio book today. You can listen wherever, whenever you feel like it and get all that action jam-packed into your earlobes and you won't even have to read the actual book. To get a free 30-day trial, go to artsynow.com forward slash book and get your free audiobook today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Amazon Audible, where people get smarter. It's time to read. Appreciate yeah, that. Definitely. So that's step three is market research. Um, step four is the creative writing. So this is when you actually get into the writing process. And uh, now some people, there's like, there like two groups, I guess, like the planners and the pantsers. If you've never heard that term before, like the planners are people who plan out their writing. And the pantsers are people who just start writing, you know, don't care, don't do an outline, uh, just get into it. And uh, I'm not going to say one is better than the other, but for me, I found doing a little bit of planning is so, so valuable. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, you know, I write nonfiction, and so usually when I go to write a book, I already know a lot about the topic. I don't need to do tons of pre-research um, most of the time, unless it's a totally new topic for me or something I don't know a lot about. So what I do is, again, just do the thinking time. Uh, you know, lock the room, no distractions, no interruptions, no internet pen and paper, just ask questions, you know, what needs to be in this book? You know, if I'm writing a book about weight loss, what are the top 10 things everyone needs to know about weight loss? What are the top mistakes people make? What are the top myths out there? Um, you know, what are the top tools, tips, you know, things that people can implement in five minutes or less that would help them, right? So just asking these questions to get an idea of, okay, what content needs to be in your book? And once I've got all that content, again, it's the same thing as coming up with book ideas. Some of that content is going to be great. Some is going to be complete BS and you want to leave it out of the book. So that's when you go to that next, you know, it's kind of like balancing this whole process, kind of like balancing this creative uh, side where you're coming up with ideas and then the analytical side where you're analyzing those ideas and making sure they're actually valid and worth putting into your book. Kind of like balancing the muse and the ego, right? 
Exactly, man. Exactly. Yeah. So just for my knowledge, I just wanted to know this. I'm curious, how much do you write per day? I mean, do you have a set goal, like a set amount of time that you set aside to write? Do you just write when you feel like it's coming on? Uh, or or do you kind of skip around the, the block? Because I, I found that if I set a certain amount of time to write in the morning and I give myself a timer, like I use the Howler timer, set it, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or whatever. I still have a day job, so I can't write two or three hours a day like I would love to. Uh, I, I'm way more productive that way as opposed to saying, okay, I'll, I'll write tomorrow. I'll write Wednesday for this amount of time. Like if I actually put it down on the list of things to do, I'll do it. What, what have you noticed with yourself and then all those people that you have worked with when it comes to this kind of uh, format, I guess? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So number one, the more thinking time I do, the more I write, mm-hmm. right? I think the biggest, like people talk about writer's block all the time. The reason you have writer's block is because you don't know what you're going to write before you sit down at the computer, right? If you spend 15 minutes thinking, writing down ideas, as soon as you sit down at the computer, you're going to start immediately writing no writer's block because you already planned out, you already thought ahead of time what you're going to write about. So that's one key is just to prepare. Every, every time you sit down to write, make sure you're prepared and you can do it right before you write or I do it usually the night before. And so the night before, I'm writing down ideas at night. And then when I get up to write in the morning, I already know exactly what I'm going to write about. I've got my notes and, and everything I did during my writing time. So that's one thing that makes it super, super easy to just be way more productive. If you ever sit down at the computer to write and you're not writing, stop. You're doing it wrong. Get up, go to something else, take a walk, do some thinking time. If you're not being productive, you're not writing. And I think people who say, oh, well, I wrote two hours yesterday, but you didn't actually sit down and write. You were just thinking about what to write. You're, you're wasting your own time, you know? You're wasting, you're wasting your time, you're not being productive, and you're getting into a really bad habit, which is a habit of saying you're writing, acting like you're writing, but not actually writing. And so if I ever get in that, that place where I'm not being productive, I just get up from the computer, take a walk, take a break, do something else, because I want to always be, train myself to be as productive as possible. And if I'm not being productive, I need to stop. It's better to rest, take a nap, not do anything at all, than to look busy but not be productive. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself in any situations, I know you do a lot of preparing before you write, but do you ever find yourself where you're writing a lot of content, but it's not actually going anywhere in a good direction? Or do you cut yourself off and take a walk then as well? No, if, if, I, if I'm writing and I'm in the zone and I'm in flow and I'm in a flow state and I'm just writing, I just write. I don't, I don't care if there's typos, yeah, if it's matter awful, if, you if I'm never going to publish it. I just write. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of, but I always save my stuff. That's one cool thing. With technology today, we have so much storage space. Never, I, I never delete anything. Yeah. Anything I write, I never delete it. Um, I save it. I'll save it in Evernote or in Dropbox. I'll save it somewhere. Yeah, my and Evernote's- who knows? You know, maybe 10 years from now, I'll look back at that and say, oh, that was a great idea. Maybe I'll write that into a book now or something. You know? But I, I, I always keep my ideas in my writings. Cool. All right. Yeah, I think that's important because I think a lot of people... You know, like like this great story about Stephen King. You know, he threw away the manuscript for Carrie. And this was like way before. Oh you know, yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Processors. And, and his, his wife, wife yeah. picked it up out of the trash and yeah. gave it to him and said, "You need to finish this." You know, imagine if that had been a file on his computer, and he had deleted it forever. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I mean, it's I like, played the same role. I, I literally have an Evernote with I don't know all sorts of different notebooks in there, and I will get in there, and I've got stuff where it's just brainstorming and me brain dumping everywhere, and then others that I'm working on to complete, and then I have the completed stuff, and I won't go through me particularly. I, I won't go through one topic like the whole way through. Usually, I'll 
I'll do like a segment of one and then the next day, maybe I'm not feeling that anymore. And I do a segment of another one. What I need to get better at is having a good enough plan before I go into it to be able to really focus when I set that time away and be able to beast it all out at once. Cause I think when your mind's on spot, man, it can be on spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So another great tip for, for making sure you get your writing done is I schedule it in my calendar. So I schedule it every day. So like, just like we have an appointment to be on this call, um, you know, I have an appointment in my calendar to write and you know, it's just like, you know, would you miss a doctor's appointment? You know, would you miss an interview? Would you miss, you know, an important call? No, you wouldn't because it's in your calendar. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to take that call. You're going to show up on time. It's the same thing with writing. If you don't schedule it in your calendar, who knows what's going to happen? You know what I mean? Like if we said, Hey, Hey Heath, you know, let's do an interview sometime in the next three months. You know, if you see me on Skype, just ping me, we'll do, we'll do it. You know, no, we're so busy. It's never going to happen. Right. So that's why we have to schedule it in the calendar. It's the same thing with your writing. If you're busy, the busier you are, the more important it is to schedule it in your calendar. Yeah, it works perfectly for me too. I mean, that's what I do. And I, I literally schedule it into my mornings um, and it's amazing. But the, it, it, fundamentally, like Parkinson's law, right? Like it, it fundamentally, if I give myself a time to do it and a date that it needs to be done by, I am like, it just, it just shows 100% like this last year I've accomplished more than my other 27 years combined easily times 10 probably. And it's based on those principles. I mean, it really is. It's, it's scheduling it out and doing it and not saying, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or the next day. Like I literally carry a note card every day with the two main things I want to accomplish for the day. And I don't do anything else until I get those done. And then I also have my time for writing, for reading, for playing the guitar or anything else I'm trying to do as a self-improvement. So yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's brilliant. That's exactly what, what needs to happen because, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if I want to be creative, I have to be unstructured. I have to, I have to be unfettered by, you know, tradition or structure or whatever. But the truth is, in my experience and with so many authors I've worked with, the more structure you create, as long as it's the right structure that supports what you want to achieve, that structure will help you be 10 times more productive and 10 times more creative. You know, you could be the most creative person in the world, but if you never should sit down to write, so what? You know what I mean? Like you're creative, but you're not actually you're not actually creating. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so that giving having that structure and working consistently will make you a, a far better creator, uh, and you'll be amazed by what you can what you can produce in the long run. Yeah, I just actually have put up an audio series, and it's five ways to prioritize your vision, really, and your goals, and it's just five step system that I've made for myself that works flawlessly. And it goes from creating that detailed life list of your vision to setting aside the correct schedule after you make, you know, like a vision board, but really it all comes down to that one note card or your list or whatever your preferred method is, you know, wonder list or online or anything. Everybody's a little different, but making sure you know what the two most valuable things are for the day and sticking to it. And then you can play all those other amazing things into it. Like, your writing time. That might be, I mean, obviously is probably the most important thing for you on many occasions, right? But everybody's a little different, so that might be something different. But I, I mean, it it is the most effective thing I've ever been involved with, 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So what are we on? Are we on step five? Or six? Okay, so step four, well, creative writing, just one more, one more tip on creative writing. Again, I just want to reiterate and make sure you really understand that when I'm doing, when I'm sitting down to write the first draft of anything, I don't care about typos. I don't care about grammar, any mistakes, uh, factual errors. None of that stuff matters. And the problem is if you're, if you're constantly uh, editing while you write, it's going to slow you down so much, and you're not going to really unleash your full creativity. You're not going to stay in that flow state. 
So stay in that flow state as much as possible. Write as fast as you can. Don't worry about typos, grammar, or anything else. Just let it flow on paper. And then separate that creative writing process from what I call self-editing. And that's uh, totally different. So that's step five is self-editing. And that's where you actually go through, you, you, know, you check for grammar, typos, you rewrite sentences, you do your fact-checking, you do your research, you, know, you insert hyperlinks, you, know, you make sure the characters' names are all the same, make sure the timeline works, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So separate those two writing processes and even separate it like physically, like don't just, you know, be creative writing and then, and then don't take a break from the computer and then go into editing. So actually get up, you know, get a glass of water, take a five minute walk, you know, let your mind uh, transition to that new state and then come back because it's really, you're using totally different parts of your mind. It's kind of like that right brain, left brain thing. You're using totally different parts of your mind uh, between the creative writing stage and, and the self editing stage. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, I've experienced that as well. And I am a terrible, I'm not going to lie. Like I find myself, oh, well, what's this? Because I I use Grammarly and it'll automatically show me things that are wrong. And I just, I wish, I guess there probably is a way you can just turn it off while you're writing. Do you use any particular tools that are like distraction free? Do you write with paper? Or are you on the computer when you're doing it? Uh, and how do you make it like the most distraction free possible so you don't have to worry about that stuff? Yeah, so I do all my... Um all my uh, like handwriting during thinking time. And so usually when I go down to the sit to write, I already have at least one page, if not 10 pages of I just little you. notes yeah. that I'm going to write about. So I know the, the ideas, but they're really just chicken scratch. I mean, it's not full sentences, just ideas. And then when I sit down on the computer, then I just write it out uh, in our word processor. So I do all the writing on the word processor on the computer. Um, but I, I've almost always got the notes beforehand that I wrote by hand. Are you just using like Word or Evernote or because yeah, I, I just use Word, Microsoft Word. I'm yeah. so, so simple. I've never switched to Scrivener. Um, you know, it's great. Some people love Scrivener, so if that works for you, then by all means, go for it. Yeah, I've uh, not tried it. Uh, I use Evernote. Evernote's great. Um, I don't write in Evernote, but I have like sometimes on my if I'm on my iPhone, I'll write in Evernote. Um, yeah. uh, but I've got like all my notes and stuff for my my books in Evernote, so that's really helpful to refer to as well. For as for terms of distractions, I mean just. Close your web browsers. I mean, I know there's like all kinds of apps you can use, but like to me, that's like superfluous. It's like if I just close my web browser, I'm not going to use it. I mean, if you're addicted to surfing the web, then maybe you need one of those apps that blocks it. But like for me, it's just time. Yeah. Yeah. But I just make sure, you know, I, I close Skype, I close all my, you know, I don't get Facebook messages and stuff when I'm doing it. I turn my cell phone on silent. Um, so yeah, it's just doing the basic stuff. And then the other cool thing, well, important thing, is that, you know, with my partner, we live together in the same house and, you know, I make sure she knows, like, if I'm, if my door's closed, my office, don't come in. You know, I'm writing or I'm doing an interview, just don't interrupt me unless it's like, you know, a life-threatening emergency. Other than that, you know, don't come in. Um, because even small distractions can, like, dramatically hurt your productivity. Oh, I know, man. It's brutal. The resistance gremlins is what I call them. Exactly, man. Yeah, and it's like, it's just like, you know, one tiny distraction, whether it's a phone call or... An interruption or whatever it is, you know, it, it can, the study says like reduces your productivity by at least 15 to 45 minutes. So, you know, if you get five distractions a day, it's like half your day of work is wasted. Yeah. And it takes a long time to get to a point where you can really train yourself to eliminate the distractions. And when it comes down to it, like for me, you know, I, I took off the social media off my app. I, I got rid of Facebook. Uh, I mean, I got, I took off the social media off my cell phone I got rid of Facebook and, and those apps and I don't check, you know, I don't get on and check things unless I have to once every, even with email, you know, I won't check my email once every three days unless I have appointments that I need to check in with somebody with. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, all my notifications on my there are no notifications on my iPhone. I don't even have a calendar notifications. There's nothing. Yeah. So my phone never pops up with anything except for text message or yeah. or a phone call, right? There's it's never like oh the weather phones. is seventy five degrees today. Like I don't care. Like that should not interrupt what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean, man. And in today's day and age, it's like you go out to a restaurant and you'll see an entire family that's just like constantly sucked into the phones and. I've been guilty. I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm a perfect, I I did it for a long time and it just takes a long time to learn. But once you do, it's, it's miraculous. And it's kind of like the whole minimalist thing, right? Materialistic belongings. How valuable are they to you? Well, I'm telling you a lot of those things sitting around your house, they are as big as a distraction as your Facebook and they can distract your financial side of life. They can distract your concentration on anything that you're trying to produce for the better and definitely play a role into the whole resistance gremlins. Absolutely, man. You're so right on that. Yeah, I mean, technology is a tool and it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's just what it is. But, you know, we can choose to use that tool wisely or to be used by that tool and have it take up all our time. You know, like without word processors, you know, we'd be typing on old typewriters or typing by writing by hand, you know. Imagine how less productive we would be as writers. But at the same time, you know, we've got Facebook, we've got pop-up notifications on our phone, we've got all kinds of other things too that can be distractions. So I think the key for me is just to be conscious. And again, that's why that thinking time helps so much. Like one of the questions I ask is like, what distractions did I have today? You know, what problems did I have today? And I look at the problems I have, the distractions I have, the bad things that happen and say, is there a way I could prevent this from ever happening again in the future? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's, yeah, sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes there's stuff that just shit happens. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, move on with your life. But sometimes you find things like, Oh my God, this was the eighth time that, you know, um, I got a Facebook message in the middle of an interview. Well, I'm not going to do that again. What can I do to fix that next time? Well, I just have to close Facebook, right? Yeah. It's not complicated, but you just have to be paying attention and have that awareness. Yeah, I mean, I literally booted the old Facebook in December when I realized at my family gathering for the holidays that every single person in my family was on their Facebook the entire time. And it just disgusted me so much that I was like, you know what? I'm going to get away from this because they're like, hey, look at Facebook right now. I'm like, can't you just tell me you're sitting right next to me, right? <laughs> and it's it just really opened my eyes to – I was once sucked into that. And now that I'm not, I mean, I've gone through my entire house and like really made this huge transition to being much more simple and minimal. And now it like just starts to bother me when I see things that I absolutely don't have to have. And that can play into electronics or, or physical things. But yeah, 100%, dude. So you nailed it. Absolutely, man. All right, so let's let's so step five. We talked about self editing. Uh, another step that it's not necessary, but a lot of people love this step is using beta readers. So after you've edited the book yourself, or it depends. I mean, some people use beta readers, and like so, a beta reader. If you've never heard of them, it's basically a reader who reads your book and reviews your book, like before it's published or before it's even professionally edited. Yeah. And some people do it like chapter by chapter. So some people have like a writing partner, maybe two authors grouped together, and they'll review each chapter of each other's work as they write the chapters. And so that way they can, you know, make those revisions and then move on to the next chapter. Um, other people just do it once the whole manuscript is done, once the first draft is done. So it's up to you. So they're basically like free editors. They're not paid. They're people who do it because they like you, they like what you do, or, you know, something like that. Um, Where do you find them at? So a lot of people find them from their fans. So your fans are oh, great. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Right, or so like, like if you write novels... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you write novels and you've got a Facebook following, an email list, whatever, just tell your followers, hey, look, I'm looking for 5, 10, 50, whatever your number is, beta readers for um, my novel, for my next novel, you know, 
Um, and then you have to be really clear with beta readers, really clear what you expect. So really important is to set the expectations. So um, for instance, if it's your first draft, you're probably going to have typos. You're going to have grammatical errors. Tell people, look, don't worry about typos. Don't worry about grammar. I need to know if it's a novel, like I need to know, do you like the characters? You know, is, is there any part where you got bored and, and wanted to stop reading? Is there any part you absolutely loved? And yeah. so you get that kind of, you know, really nitty gritty feedback from them about the important stuff, the big stuff. Um, so that's what you would do with beta readers. Um, and then ap usually after you go through the beta reading process, you do more editing yourself and then you send it off to step six, which is your professional editor. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. And like if you have an email list, even I don't care how big or small it is, there's typically a couple people that you talk to on a regular basis that are giving you feedback anyways. So, and then also you could probably find somebody to do a pretty decent forward if you offer them to read the book first and see what they like and they're willing to do it, I would think. Yeah, totally. I mean, it just depends. Like every author is different. So, you know, everyone's got their own process. I know people that use 69 beta readers for a single book. I know people that only have one. So like uh, these authors, they pair off together and they, they're constantly reviewing each other's work, but they're the only people they let see their work before it's edited. Um, you know, and some people don't use beta readers at all. So it's totally optional, but it's just this cool thing out there. It's kind of like crowdsourcing. You're basically like crowdsourcing, you know, reviews or edits for your book. Um, and now with the internet, it's easier than ever to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. That is. Yeah. Awesome, man. Cool. I love these value nuggets. Yeah, absolutely, man. So yeah. So step six is hire a professional editor. Um, you need to do it. If it's your first book, especially you need to do it. Um, even more than one editor is great because you're going to learn. And so the way I look at an editor, the viewpoint I look at when I hire an editor is my, my, my second biggest concern is, okay, how much can they fix in this book? Right. Can they fix all the typos in the grammar? That's my second concern. Yeah. My number one concern is what can I learn from them? Right. Cause I don't just want a great one book. I want to learn how to become a better writer and a better person. And so if that person can teach me, that's awesome. You know, it's like the same thing like with a doctor. Like if, if I go to a doctor and they just give me a pill or prescription and they don't teach me anything, I feel like that was a waste. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like if so I go to a health <laughs> professional or any kind of professional, I want to learn. Like the solution to my problem is great, but if I can learn from that person how to solve my problem forever, that's a lot better, right? Yeah. And so I always go through it with that long-term mindset. So I'd rather have an editor who's less qualified but willing to spend more time with me and really teach me more hands-on than someone who's more qualified but is so busy uh, they'll never get on the phone with me and you know they're just basically emailing me back edits. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, man. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay, so another big mistake people make when it comes to editing and hiring people in general is the first. What you do is you just hire the first person. You know, like the you know your neighbor's cousin's sister. It happens to be an editor, so you say, <laughs> "Oh, great, you can edit my book," and you send it to them and. You know, when you're all done, you get this bill for $15,000 and you're like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> uh, because you didn't talk about price. You were unprepared. You just took the first person came your way. Um, hey, like, do that. When you publish your first ebook, though, you can always update it, right? Also, if you find more mistakes in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. The great thing with ebooks now is you can update them and within 24 hours, they'll basically fixed on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So you can always make edits later. Yeah. Yeah. So but I mean, but, they interrupt you. No, it's all good, man. So again, uh, with, with when you're hiring someone, the, I have a rule of three in business. It's the rule of three. Anytime I'm going to hire someone to do a job that's a significant amount of money, and that for you might be five bucks or 500 or 5,000 or whatever it is for you, whenever you, you reach that number, make sure you know what that number is for you. Always get at least three quotes, three quotes for the job minimum. 
Hmm. Right? It's just the bare minimum. So if I'm going to hire an editor, I want three quotes minimum. If I'm going to have a cover designer, I need three quotes minimum. And that way I ensure that I don't get ripped off by just taking the first person that comes my way uh, and not really understanding. It's just kind of like doing market research for your book. Like just do a little bit of research. You can do it in less than an hour, uh, but just know what you're doing ahead of time so you don't get ripped off. Because I see so many authors spend their life savings on editing or cover design or whatever that's got completely ripped off because they didn't do their research. Yeah, wow. So don't let that happen to you. Do your research. Yeah, it's just like anything in life. Like if you're going to have your house quoted to like get painted or something, surely you're not going to go with the first person. I mean, you're going to get a couple of different estimates. So exactly, I would think, but I'm sure that there's are quite a bit of people who don't. They just go with the easiest route, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So and the easiest route is great until it comes the wrong route, and then you wish you'd done something a little bit different. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so step seven after your book's been freshly edited, that's when you're getting ready to publish. So your book is done. Now what you need to do is step seven is format it. So if you're publishing an ebook, you got to format it for Kindle or whatever ebook format you're doing. Uh, Kindle's the biggest, by the way. So I just give you an example. Like Kindle dominates at least 70% of the US ebook market and like 80% in the UK. And those are the two major markets right now. So that, you know, for most authors, that's going to be 90% plus of your sales. It's going to be just in the US and UK. Right. Um, so, so Kindle dominates those markets. And so, you know, if you're going to publish your ebook anywhere, number one, publish it on Kindle. Don't worry about anything else until it's on Kindle. That's the most important by far, hands down. So when you're formatting your ebook, um, we don't have time to go through that now, but I do have a free training course on it. So I've got a free video training course that walks you through video one. I walk you through the entire formatting process, how to format your ebooks for Kindle. Super easy. You can do it with Microsoft Word or any other basic um, uh, word processor. Um, so it's ebookpublishingschool.com. And if you go there, you get the four free training videos. Um, again, number one, show you how to do formatting. Number two, actually show you how to publish it on Kindle. And then number three and four, we talk a lot about marketing. So how to actually build your author platform. Yo, 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 yo. Not back to give you the audible spill, but if you're enjoying this episode, if you're interested in writing, if you're interested in publishing an ebook or a book, I put together this list covering all the topics that we've gone through in this episode. So if you go to artsynow.com forward slash 98 download, you can get the list of all these topics that Tom and I are covering here, or basically Tom covering, and the explanations of each. Plus, I will blend in some more little value nuggets and the list of free ebook promotion sites from Tom as well will be on that download. So check that out, artsynow.com forward slash 98 download. Cool. That'd be hugely valuable. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people love love that one. So yeah, so if you want to learn how to do the formatting when your book is done. Now, does that go- include like cover design or anything like that? Because I know when I've talked to like Amber Ludwig, for example, she runs campaigns basically for authors to get them to bestseller on Kindle and, and in other places as well. And she's like, I mean, 15 for 15, I think, in her campaigns of getting them up there and keeping them there, which is pretty amazing. But things that I learned from her, like you, you really have to pay attention to the cover because I guess it's like a little icon down there, right? And it makes a whole lot of difference the way that you format that or you format your title or anything like that. Is is that a different? Are you talking about formatting based on like how to actually make it into an ebook or does it include that kind of stuff as well? So the formatting is so there's so many different ways because there's 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 literally hundreds of different versions of ebooks. Yeah. Um, so in that video, I just show you how to format for Kindle because again, it's the biggest market. Um, but there's other formats. There's EPUB, there's Mobi, there's Smashwords, there's other distributors that you can sell your books on. So there's all different kinds of markets in different ways. 
Um, so it gives get a little bit does get a little bit complex, but the main thing that that you want to accomplish by formatting is delivering your book to the end user, the reader, in a way that they can just read the book and not worry about hey the page breaks are all messed up and the margins are horrible and I can't read the font because it's you know the wrong size or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's just the key with formatting. And again, it's going to be different for every distributor that you're publishing for. Um, but in that video, I just focus on Amazon because uh, it's you know it's the biggest market by far, and it's and a lot of people like me. I just use KDP Select. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've never heard of that, it's, it's like a 90-day exclusive pr- program with Amazon, where your book is only published, your ebook is only published through Amazon on Kindle, and you don't publish anywhere else. And when you do that, they pay you more royalties and they let people borrow your book. So a reader can borrow your book; it's free to the reader if they're an Amazon Prime member. Um, but you actually get paid like you know two dollars or so every time someone does that. Um, and there's all kinds of other benefits you get from KDP Select. So um, that's why I teach it that way because I just want to keep it as simple as possible. And if you want to do more complex stuff later, you can you know hire someone to do that or learn how to do it yourself. It's it's not too complicated. But I say start with the easy stuff. Start with the basic stuff. We're gonna make the most money. Yeah. Makes sense. Clear cut path for sure. This is awesome, man. I'm glad that you're going through these because this is this is a lot of value. It's like I get it's almost like I get a free course out of this. <laughs> yeah, man. You're you're ready to go after this. <laughs> I know. I've got I've got an awesome list that's kind of going hand in hand with what you have, which is from Honoré Quarter. Um she's she's pretty awesome as far as when it comes to self-publishing as well. And she's got like a 40-step list, but when I think about everything that you said, it's kind of like yours, but just written out on more lines, I guess, because it seems like there's similar trends here. Yeah. I mean, it's all just a process, you know, and it's just, I think the, the key thing learn. is just breaking it down into a process that is manageable for you. Yeah. I mean, I could break it down to 40 steps, so we wouldn't have time in the interview. Well, you could probably break it down to much more than that. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, in my video course, I mean, we've had 14,000 people go through like my advanced video course on ebook publishing and oh, damn, that's like that's a 70. Lot. Lectures. So we've got yeah. 70 lectures in that course, you know? Cool. Um, well, congrats. So on there's that. just a lot to learn, but but these are the keys. So if all you do is these eleven steps, you'll you'll be good. You know that yes, there's more stuff you can fill in to learn and master it and become even better. Um, but if you focus on the foundations, on the basics, you'll you'll get there. You'll be successful. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So okay. So step eight is cover design. Um, and yeah, like you just mentioned, it's super important. Um, in fact, it's the number one most important thing when it comes to marketing your book. Like if you have a horrible cover design. Um, you know, it's going to be really hard to sell books, you know, yeah. uh, if you're selling online. If it's different, like if you're selling in the back of a room, uh, you know, you're speaking at a conference and, you know, people are going to buy your book because they like you, they like your message, they don't care what the cover looks like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you're selling online to people who don't know you, who have no idea who you are, the cover is what's going to make them buy. So uh, when you look at how people buy ebooks today, they're browsing online, they're browsing on Amazon's website, on a mobile phone, and they're seeing this little 60 by 90 thumbnail of your book cover. And so if that cover doesn't attract them and make them want to click, you're not going to get a sale. And same thing, once they're on your page, uh, if they don't like the cover, they don't like your title, your book description, they're not going to click buy, they're not going to buy from you. Do you, so do you think they focus more on that than they would like what they think they're going to actually get out of the book? Well, it's not that they focus more on that. So the, the cover design decision from the reader's perspective is totally subconscious. Mm-hmm. Right? No one ever like goes to, a, like you're not browsing on Amazon and you're like, Oh, you know, con- make this conscious decision to not click this book or to click it. It's all totally unconscious. It's totally subconscious, right? So if you're looking for a romance novel and you see a book with like black and red, bright, bloody red on the cover, <laughs> are you gonna buy? Are you gonna click that? No, you're looking for a romance novel. And even if it was a romance novel, the cover makes it look like vampire or something yeah. like that, right? So you're not gonna click it. 
it's totally subconscious. So you want to make sure you're using the colors and and really what it comes down to is you want people to feel a certain way when they look at your cover, right? If if your book is on inspiration, you want them to feel inspired. If your book is on romance, you want them to feel like romantic. If your book is like murder mystery, you want them to feel some murder and some mystery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you want your your cover to convey on a subconscious level immediately what that book is about. So you should be able to tell by just by looking at your cover, even if the title is removed, what genre that is. Wow. Yeah, makes sense too, man. Because like I, when I go to buy books, usually I know, because naturally people get on and they want to look at like bestsellers, but I think on the ebook world, it's a little bit different than it is. And I could be wrong about that, but uh, I do a lot of keywords like when I do ebook searches. But when I get on like Audible or something, it's usually a book that I had on my wish list that I've heard somebody else mention or something like that. But the whole self-publishing world is a, it's a, it's like an entire another animal. I mean, you can get these these books for two or three dollars that are packed with value, right? Not from a big name, but that's the beauty of it. I mean, it's real people going through real processes, just like yourself. And I guess what I'm searching for, it all I'm trying to say is, yeah, it, it is a different process. I do pay attention to different aspects of it, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the way people buy books online is fundamentally different from the way you buy them in a bookstore. And, and like I said, with the, the covers on like phones and on Amazon.com on the website, those covers are 60 by 90 pixels. It's, just, it's, like, it's like the size, it's like smaller than your thumb by your thumb. When you put your two thumbs together, it's like, it's like smaller than that. Oh, tiny. Right? It's yeah. super tiny. And so it's so small that if you've got fancy details, like I've seen people spend $5,000 on a hand-painted book cover. looks <laughs> amazing. The painting on the wall looks fantastic. On Amazon's website, that detail is non-existent. Oh, man. Right? It doesn't exist, right? Yeah. And so you want it. So when you're designing for ebook covers, it's different than designing for print covers. So you want the number one, the title has to stick out. It has to be really big, really bold, easy to read. Uh, if you use fancy cursive uh, fonts or something like that, it, which is kind of good for romance, right? Yeah. But it has to be readable. So if you read cursive that's unreadable at that small size, it's horrible, right? Um, and now even if it's a romance cover and it still looks good, people still might click it. Um, but it's always better to have a very readable title for your ebooks. So that's super, super important. Yeah. Well, interesting. You're making me yeah. fist pump. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So I actually, so I have a podcast show too, the Publishing Profits Podcast. And I interviewed a guy called Derek Murphy, who's like brilliant high end cover designer. I mean, the guy, like the science of color and everything, like he knows everything there is to know about design. So that so you can check that out. That interview we can link to it in the show notes, you, I guess. You've got you've got a podcast yourself? Yeah, it's called Publishing Profits Podcast. Oh, awesome, dude. That's yeah. good news. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, so that interview, it's like you want to learn more about like the colors and how to design stuff and how to hire a designer. If he talks about that really in depth in the interview, it's really awesome. It'll save you a lot of time and money. Awesome. Yeah, I'll link that up in the show notes as well too. Sweet, sweet. Okay, so number nine, that's you're done. You're ready to publish. It's the big day. Boom. So you can run around yeah. outside with your pants down, celebrate, yeah. yell. Exactly. This is the good this is the good day. So so when you publish your book, um, for ebooks, it's super easy. You go to kdp.amazon.com. It stands for Kindle Direct Publishing KDP kdp.amazon.com. It's free. If you already have an Amazon account, you just sign in with your existing account. Basically, just tell them your basic info about you know your name, your address, your social security number so they can actually send you money, uh, your bank account so they can send you money, direct deposit to your bank account, or you can get a check if you want. Um, and you, once you fill out all that info, you, you can go ahead and publish a book. So you just click add new title, 
and follow the process. It's pretty simple, but at ebookpublishingschool.com, I walk you through in video number two, that entire process and make sure you know you have your keywords in the right place and make sure you understand about DRM and some other important issues before you publish your book so you can make an educated choice about what to do before you publish. Nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and so that, that whole process, you can usually, a lot of people can go through that in 30 minutes or less. It depends if you've written your book description or not and how detailed you want to get with your book description. Um, but a pro tip for book descriptions, write as much as possible. So they give you 4,000 characters, which are like 700 words, to write your book description for your Kindle eBooks, And you want to use all of them as much as possible. Because uh, you want to, number one, educate your readers about what your book is about. And number two, use keywords that people are going to find. Like you mentioned, people searching for keywords when, you're, yeah. when you search for eBooks. Make sure those keywords are in your book description so people can actually find your book. So if they're looking for weight loss book, you better have that keyword in your book description. Beast those keywords into there, right? Yeah, in a natural way. So you're not going to like, you know, I see some people, they just have like at the end, it's just like, <laughs> it's like marketing, business marketing, marketing strategy, marketing again, marketing online. It's just like, dude, that's a complete spam. And Amazon's going to, you know, <laughs> remove those books and, and do nasty things to your account. So don't do that stuff. Yeah, just keep it natural. The beauty of, of the things that you can accomplish from your computer now, I mean, when it comes to self-publishing and, and how it used to be before this, like, it's just mind-blowing, man. It really is. Like all that you can go through. I mean, all of these different topics together, thinking that you can actually do this from your house. It just reinforces the idea that you can have that freedom that you were desiring, right? That that I desire to not have to work within somebody else's system to create your own and to really do what you were born to do in life. And it just, I, I don't know, makes me fist pump for sure. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's amazing what you can accomplish today. I mean, all the, all the hard work has been done for you, you know? Amazon has over 100 million customers with their credit card on file one click away from buying your book. Oh, my right? gosh. No, uh, like, damn. You, how much money would you need for a marketing budget to get that kind of audience, right? Yeah. So like, how, much has, how much have you seen it scale from, like, that first 14 sales, like, on your book, the book that you left there, and you didn't promote it at all, you didn't tell anybody you published it? Like, how, does every time you release a book, does it just keep going up? Pretty much. I mean, it's up and down. So some months are really great. Like if I launch a book, it's going to be way up. And if uh, you know, I don't do launch a month, if I don't launch a book that month, and it's quiet a month, and it can be down. So it's it's up and down. Like any, in my experience, anytime you're selling stuff online, the, your income over time is going to be up and down. Yeah. But it should be it's consistently it should be consistently on an up on an up schedule if you're consistently you know producing stuff and, and marketing and building your audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that first month. 14 sales, 12 months later, I had my first $12,000 a month from just ebook royalties alone on Kindle. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, that's crazy powerful. It really is. And it, and it is, I don't, I don't want to call it true, like true passive income, but it is in a sense somewhat passive. Like there's always an opportunity that somebody's going to buy this book a year later or two years later. And if you keep putting more and more out, then obviously you can continue to, to build on that. So, and, and then the, there's always the audience members who are likely to buy another one of your books if they liked it. Right. So. Absolutely. I mean, the most success really comes from creating a platform of books. Yeah. Right. So whether you write nonfiction, fiction, the more books you write, like, cause see, like I'm an avid reader. I know you are too. Mm -hmm. And like, I love to read books. And so the hardest thing for me to do is to find a next good book to read. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that like takes a lot of time. So <laughs> how do I, how do I solve that problem? I, at word of mouth, yeah. right. Friends tell me, Hey, this is a great book. This is a great book. So I go buy those. Right. I don't even ask questions. I just go buy them. Um, but the other way I do is just, I look at authors I really like and I see if they have more work. You know, like I like Malcolm Gladwell. I buy like all of his books. Yeah. So when I see he's got a new book, I go buy it. 
Yeah, I do it too. I mean, I really do. Yeah, so it's, so that's how it's going to work. If you're an author, the more books you write, the more books you're going to sell, like hands down. So you want to double your income? Just write another book. Yeah, and another thing that I do is if I start reading a book and I don't like it as much and it's maybe a new author or it's kind of somewhat boring and I'm, I'm going to use this book as an example, not because he's not going to care regardless. He's not going to listen to this, but like Gary Vaynerchuk's jab, 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 right hook. Like that wasn't doing it for me. And there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, that book's awesome. I got into it and it was just, you know, somewhat boring, not really straightforward. So I just basically at that point, I'll just skim a little bit. I'll skim and find the points that I really want to learn about. And then chances are I'm moving on immediately. So I guess it can work in the opposite way too. Yeah, totally. I, I totally skimmed that book, but his first book I really loved, Crush It. I yeah, Crush it was, it was awesome. Right. And then, and then, which was Jeff the reason I, I bought that. Too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, everyone's different, and, and not everyone is actually a full time author. Like, Gary Venture's not a full time author. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, not what he yeah, does yeah. every day. And a lot of people, too, you know, you can ghost write books. There's all, and I don't know if that was a ghost written book or not, but I mean, there's all different kinds of ways to write books now. Um, and yeah, but I think that's an important lesson to learn is like, you want quality. You know what I mean? Um, and you want to make sure it's the right quality for your audience. So some, so different audiences value different things. Oh, there's plenty like some, of people that found that super valuable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So maybe you just weren't his audience for that particular book, you know? Um, uh, but just understand that going in when you're writing a book, who is your audience? And so I like to, I, when I'm writing a book, I like to act like I'm writing to my ideal audience member. Right. And so get like a real good description. Like, okay, imagine some, like now don't imagine like this whole audience, like millions of people, imagine one person. Like, okay, my audience is like a 35-year-old mom with three kids who's college-educated. And then think like, okay, who do you know in your life who's that 35-year-old mom who's college-educated with three kids? And visualize her when you're writing your book. Yeah. Like, like Emma, that's Emma. So I'm going to write my book to Emma. And I'm going to make sure everything Emma wants to know is in this book. And everything Emma doesn't want to know is not in this book. Right? And so it just really helps me uh, when I'm writing the book, when I'm doing the editing especially, you know, to make sure that this book meets what my customer wants, which is not necessarily what I want from the book. And so it's really important to understand that. Yeah, cool. And that works into like, even if you're writing blogs or, you know, writing love notes to, you know, the weird neighbor next door, you never know. It can, it can Absolutely. play all of that. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, I mean, too, it also takes time to understand who is your customer, you know, because you might think when you're going through, it's like, 65 year old guys and you find out really it's women in their 20s yeah you know and and you don't necessarily know i mean sometimes it's obvious who your audience is but you know until you start writing books and publishing books and publishing blog posts and stuff you don't really know for sure until people actually start listening and start reading and start emailing you yeah so be always adapt and change that's the beauty of it exactly yeah absolutely man all right, so step 10 is marketing. This is the good stuff. This is the biggest part uh, that a lot of people don't do or don't do well because they just haven't learned. And so there's so much to learn about marketing. Um, I guess the, the key thing I would say at this point is you really want to do a book launch. So let's say you have a budget of, I don't know what your budget is, maybe $1,000 for marketing for the whole year. Yeah. You want to spend all that during your book launch and spend nothing the rest of the year. Really, that's how you want to do it. You really? want to so so the way that interesting the way that the internet works now, Amazon, Netflix, it's all run by algorithms. Yeah. Right. So when you watch movies on Netflix, they say, "Hey, you like this movie? You should like this movie too." It's all based on an algorithm. When you buy stuff on Amazon, it says, "Hey, you like this book? You'll like this book too." It's all based on an algorithm, right? It's it's a mathematical equation run by computers. People don't. I mean, people review it maybe, 
but it's all run by computers, right? Yeah. And the way that you get at the top of these algorithms, the way that you get number one on Amazon is by being really popular to that algorithm in a specific period of time. So Amazon uses what's called Amazon sales rank. And every single hour, the sales rank on Amazon updates based on how many sales there were in the last hour. It's, it's totally relative. So the number one book, you don't know how many copies it sold. You just know it sold more than everything else in the last period of time based on their algorithm. So it's like a 30-day moving average. If you don't even know what that means, basically your sales in the last 30 days count towards um, your sales rank. And it's based on momentum. So the more sales you sold more recently, the higher your sales rank is going to go up. So how you crack that system is you do a book launch and you sell as many books as possible as fast as possible in a week or even better a day or even better an hour. So their sales rank updates hourly. So if you sell 100 books in an hour, it's as if you had sold thousands of books in a month. So if you only sell 100 books in an hour, you can rank your book higher than other books that are selling 5,000 a month sometimes just because you have that momentum going for you. That's why you want to spend all your marketing budget, all your promotion in as short a period of time as possible so you become number one on Amazon or at the top of your categories. Because once you're there, that's when people are going to find out about your book. You're going to get recommended throughout Amazon to all these other readers that said, hey, you read this book, you should buy your book now. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like yeah. when, when you have that $1,000 bundle and you don't have to get into a lot of detail because I know we're sh running short on time here, but what what are, what's the, like the main gist of what you're using that money for as far as the marketing goes? Well, I don't even think you need $1,000 for most books, but it totally depends on, on your budget and, and your strategy and everything. So the number one most important thing I use for, for book marketing is email marketing. So my own email list, building my email list. Uh, if you don't know how to do that, I've got a book called Email Marketing Mastery, and I'll walk you through step-by-step step how to build your email list because it's, it's the number one most important thing you have to do when it comes to marketing. Yeah. Uh, you know, If you look at any business, the most important asset of any business is the list of customers, the customer list. So when one company buys another company, that transaction, that acquisition is going to be worth three times more in some cases if the company who's acquiring that other company can use their customer list to grow their business even better. Mm -hmm. Customer list is the most important asset any business has. And as an author, you do not have ever the customer list, right? So if Amazon's a distributor or Barnes & Noble's or any other distributor, they're never going to give you your customer information. So when you sell a book on Amazon, you don't know who the customer is. You don't have their name, their email, their phone number, anything. You don't have any of that information. So you have to build your own customer list. And the only real way to do that today is with an email list on a, on a large scale. And so that's why you have to start building your email list. So that's the biggest thing you need to do. And if you don't have one yet, you can start building it today. And when you do your first book launch, you might not have a big list. But when you do your next one, you'll have a list of readers who read your first book. And as soon as you email them about your second book, you're going to sell lots and lots more, way more books. So if, so if you have somebody who buys your book on, let's say, Amazon, do they like do they how do you how do you transfer them to your list without them actually going to your site and signing up? Is there so, a method? Yeah, so at the beginning of my book, on the, on the title page, usually under, the, under or above the copyright information, I have my link to my squeeze page. So it says, hey, get your free video training course on how to self-publish your books on Kindle ah. at ebookpublishingschool.com. That's on the title page. And then at the end of the book, too, uh, either in the author bio or um, before or after the author bio, it says the same message basically again. Hey, get your free video training course. I'll show you how to self-publish at ebookpublishingschool.com. So you want, and that's a squeeze page. Right, and if you've never yeah. heard of Squeeze Page, it's basically a page. The only option that the visitor has is, hey, look, you, you can either sign up to watch the videos by putting in your your name, your name and email, or you can leave the page. 
And so that way you're going to convert way more people than if you just took them to like a blog post and hope that they find their way to signing up your email list. Yeah. And I mean, I use, I'm a fan of lead pages and I've been messing around with it a little bit. My list isn't very big, but it's, you'd be surprised how small of a list can actually be effective. So actually, absolutely. And actually the smaller lists are more responsive. Yeah. Because it's the people who saw you out. It's the people who really know you. Once you get to like, like my list is over 10,000, you know, some of those people are like raving fans. They love me. They love, read every email I have. And some of those people will never open an email from me because, you know, once you get to that size, you, you get burnout and stuff. But when you're like new, you just have 50 people who've read your book. That's your most active your list is ever going to be. Yeah. Because every single person getting those emails is going to really want to hear from you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So email is huge. Other things you can do if you don't have a list yet, you don't have an audience yet, there's book promotion sites. There's hundreds of them out there. Um, I will definitely post these in the show notes. I've got two different blog posts where I break it down, the list of all the different book promotion sites I use for free books if you're doing a free book promotion or for paid books if you're doing a paid book promotion. So that's super, super valuable. Yeah, so you can cool. just, just walk through the list, use those sites. Uh, but the one thing I would be I would be wary of when you're looking at book promotion sites and make sure they actually have traffic if they're charging you money. So if it's free, whatever, you can post on it, no problem. But if they're charging you 50 bucks or whatever their, their, charge, their fee is, make sure they actually have enough traffic on their website that they can actually potentially sell enough books to, so you'll earn your money back. Because a lot of those sites, they get no traffic and they charge you 50, 100, 500 bucks, whatever, and you get no sales. And this is basically, it's not really like a scam, I wouldn't say that, but it, it's not a wise investment. Um, if you're spending money, you're not getting your, your money back. Well, I'm pumped about these blog posts, man. I'm going to dive into them. Yeah, those are super helpful. When you're doing your book launch, just go through the list. It'll, it'll save you a ton of time and really help you out. Cool. Was that? Did we cover them all? Okay, step 11 is keep writing. Oh, nice. Big mistake people make is they finish the first book and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm done. And there's nothing wrong. Like if you just want to write one book, that's fine. I mean, I've got a publishing client. She's just got one book called Heal Breast Cancer Naturally. It's an amazing book. She sells tons of them, does really, really well. And, you know, she's not really planning on, as far as I know, she's not really planning on writing another book at the time. So there's nothing wrong with just writing one book. But if you want to make this a full-time career, your full-time income, if, this, if you're really going to call yourself a writer and that's your goal for your life, keep doing it. You know, even when you're in the editing for your next book, you should be writing your new book. Um, so keep the writing process going. Don't get into the habit because it's so much work to finish your first book. It really is a lot of work. Once you get done with the first book, it's way less work if you continue that momentum and continue writing on a regular basis. Yeah, man, beast mode in it, right? Just Absolutely. Like you started off this interview in beast mode. You're going to end it in beast mode. That's right, man. So yeah, just keep writing. Uh, once you so whatever your your schedule is like for you. I mean, I know some people write every day, day after day after day. Some people do three times a week. Whatever, whatever schedule you had when you were writing your first book. Continue to keep that schedule up and keep writing. Even if it's not going to be, maybe it's a blog post, whatever. Keep your writing schedule up and, you know, maintain that habit of writing. Because the hardest thing to do is to get back to writing after taking six months or a year off or whatever. It's very hard to get back to it. Persistence is key to anything powerful. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and momentum, right? momentum. Creating that momentum. Like right now for you, this next year, if all you do is just keep doing what you're doing, next year is going to be even better than this year, right? Yeah, but if you go back to all your old habits, it's going to be very hard to get back. And whenever, I just can't imagine like when you get to a certain point, you can't go back. But whenever I feel like there's something terrible going, or like you you get to that point where you feel burnout, literally 
you just got to look back at everything that you've accomplished. I mean, I will literally sit down every every Sunday and I'll write down all my wins for the week. And all it takes is about three seconds to go back and open up one of those sheets of in the Evernote of my wins. And then immediately I'm right back on the train, right? So it, it, yeah, I mean, it's just, you got to keep consistent and keep and keep going 100%. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's just a great idea to keep a list of your accomplishments, you know, because it's so easy to get burned out and to forget what you've done and how far you've come. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's huge, man. It really is. I mean, it kind of plays into UJ's journal, right? You write down three amazing things that happened for the day, and you can always go back and look at that. But I, I will literally compile huge lists. I mean, and, and, I, and I'll put things in there like, you know, met a new person online, like awesome person to add to the network. They have value in this area. Like that's a win, right? And I keep an inspiration board where anytime anybody says anything good to me, I'll put it on the board. Anytime anybody says something negative, I put it right on the same board next to it. And it's, and it's awesome. I use them both for motivation. And That's great, man. Yeah, so you got your negative motivators and your positive motivators. That's awesome. Reddit's a great place to get negative motivators, by the way. <laughs> yeah, any, any internet comments is a great place to get negative motivators. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're, if you're creating good stuff, you'll get the positive ones too. So, so focus on that. I mean, I think a lot of authors, and I know I, I made this mistake too, is like you take re- bad reviews so personally, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you just have to step back from it and, and realize, like, look at Harry Potter. Like, he's got, like, 100 one-star reviews, you know? If my book only has two one-star reviews, man, I need to catch up to Harry Potter. Like, I've got some work to do. I need some more bad reviews for my book, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the way I look at it. Like, the bad reviews, negative comments is just a sign that you're making waves. You're making something happen, right? And don't focus too much on those negative comments. Focus on, on the people you're helping and the lives you're touching. Cool, man. And I see you also have that 10 ways to sell more books free report on your website as well. So I'm sure people would like to grab that also. But yeah, man, I'm pumped. Do you have this list that we just went over on a hard copy that I could put in the show notes or link to? Yeah, definitely. I can just email it to you after this. Okay, cool. And I'll do that. So you can get on artsynow.com forward slash, I believe, 98. I think you're episode 98. And if not, you could just get on the website and find him in the guest grid. But yeah, dude, I, I'm really pumped that you're able to come on. I do have to ask you if you had to battle Godzilla, how do you think you would use your creativity or your talents to defeat that big, crazy bastard? That's a great question, man. So honestly, it's it's so simple. It's exactly what I talked about in this interview is thinking time, man. Like you're gonna need a plan, right? So you yeah. better get up some good ideas. You better get some smart people too on your team yeah. with some good ideas about how we're gonna beat this bad mofo, right? <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I'd probably get some scientists. I'd probably call up some people, get together, ask some questions. How, what are his weaknesses? What are his strengths? You know, figure it out. Um, honestly, you'd be amazed what you can accomplish if you just ask the right questions and have the right team around you. Yeah, cool, man. That's all there is to it. Like, if you want to be successful, ask the right questions, have the right people around you. When you put that questions list that you ask yourself up for sale, you let me know. (laughs) Absolutely, man. I'll probably charge a lot for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's super effective. Yeah. No, no, that's a great idea. That will probably be one of my next five books somewhere in there. Yeah, or at least a segment of it, right? Yeah, totally, man. It's always really interesting to read that kind of stuff, so. Well, Tom, man, it's been real. I appreciate it. You're you're just right over the state line for me. So I don't usually, usually when I'm connecting, it's somebody in San Francisco or Portland or Thailand or something like well, that. So you're pretty close to me. 
Well, I don't I don't mean to break your heart, man, but I'm actually in Hawaii right now. Oh, are you? Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I grew up in South Bend and uh I moved here a couple years ago. Oh, awesome, man. I love to hear that though. You got out and get somewhere awesome. What part of Hawaii? Uh Kauai. It's the Garden yeah. Island. Yeah. I've got a good friend who's down there in Maui, so Yeah, Maui's beautiful too. Kauai, I, I swear that uh Malia do you know a I don't know how big that island is, but there's probably quite a few people actually, but I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I do have a friend who I've talked to through my list who who lives down there on that island. So interesting. She's some she does a little blogging and stuff as well. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, everybody out there, man, if you want to write a book or you're in the process of it, you have the step-by-step guide now. So I'm really, really thankful Tom was able to come on and drop all of those just straight value bombs all over the place. I mean, money in the bank for sure. Thank you so much for coming on and being the arch of her newer now. Always remember to break the rules, but first break the rulers, man. Amen, brother. Thanks where, so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and where can our, our listeners find you and get in contact with you as far as your websites go? I know you have that amazing health site, which we didn't get a dive into, but anybody who wants to learn, I know you have these just massive value articles on. Um, that's just your your personal site, right, Tom? Tom Corson. Yeah, so the personal site is, is health and wellness stuff. That's like tomcorsonnoles.com slash blog, yeah. which you probably can't spell, so... Definitely I'll, check I'll link out. it in. I'll link it in. The Definitely check out the links. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, Corson Knowles is C O R S O N hyphen K N O W L E S. Um, but anyways, uh, so that website has lots of stuff on health and health and wellness. Honestly, I haven't really updated it in, in quite a while, so um, some of the stuff is a little bit old. But my current stuff, all the stuff I'm doing now with publishing, is at tckpublishing.com. So that's my blog now um, for all the publishing stuff on writing and marketing and creating. Um, so that's got tons of helpful content on there. Ebookpublishingschool.com if you want the free videos and how to self-publish, formatting, publishing, and all the marketing stuff. Um, and then the, the podcast show, the Publishing Profits Podcast, that's publishingprofitspodcast.com. And that's it. I mean, you can Google me too. There's all kinds of other links and stuff, but um, that's the main stuff for sure that'll help a lot of people. Cool, dude. Much appreciated. Yeah, Thanks thank you so much, much Don't do anything crazy. All right, likewise. Take care of yourself. And he didn't know that by saying don't do anything crazy, I mean that you should absolutely always do something crazy. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was super value-packed. Tom is the Grandmaster Blaster Publishing Master. He killed it in that. And again, I put together this this free download, uh, uh, really the step-by-step list on how to publish your first ebook based off Tom's insight from this episode. So... Go to artsynow.com forward slash 98 download and you can get that plus the list of free ebook promotion sites, which is awesome. I mean, this list is incredible that Tom put together. Uh, so, chiggity, 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 check that out and ta ta. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Archapreneur Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music? Well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.